today we have an interesting episode because, well, for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons why this is interesting. Today is a Q&A episode. All questions from people who have listened to this podcast. And these are coming from emails, and they come from Instagram. If you don't follow us on Instagram already, it's Our Trumpet Life. Uh, we post stuff about our upcoming episodes. We just have a lot of curated trumpet stuff up there. And we also post stories that have the question. So you can ask us a question and we will either answer them in an episode or we just get right we get right back to you. So if you ever have any trumpet questions, just go to Instagram or send us an email at OurTrumpetLife at gmail.com. And if you do, you might get your question read during the podcast. So, let's start off with the introductions. I'm Derek. I'm a doctoral student at UNC University of Northern Colorado, and I'm mostly a lead player. I'm Benjamin McCarthy. I recently graduated from UNC, and I am currently, well, podcasting, editing, and looking for jobs. It's Dr. Benjamin McCarthy. Dr. Benjamin McCarthy. For, for you peasants. <laughs> uh, my name is David Moore, and I am a doctoral candidate at the University of Northern Colorado. I have degrees in both jazz and classical, uh, but I I feel like I am more of a jazz player, but I do do both. And I am Chris Navarrete, and I'm currently finishing up my doctorate degree in jazz studies in jazz composition as my secondary. Currently also working at California State University of Chico as the director of bands. And I love all sorts of music, jazz or classical. That's that's kind of my thing over here. So yeah, it's a little bit about me. I guess I missed a fun fact. Fun fact, Dr. Ben learned who the who were tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that should be on record that the song that goes, who are you? Who, 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 who? Who are you? Who, 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 who? <laughs> ben did not know who sang that song. So... Who is it? It's the who, of course. Who? Who? Let it be known that getting your doctorate <laughs> doesn't make you an expert in everything. Oh, <clears throat> Don't tell anyone that. That's our secret. <laughs> that's our secret. Yeah, that's right. So we've got, I think, eight questions that I'm going to ask today. I kind of figured the best way of getting through these is instead of all four of us answering every single question, which is going to take forever, I will pick who, well, I've already done that, who is going to answer these questions, <laughs> and I will ask, <laughs> all right, what's so funny? <laughs> You keep saying who. Who. It's just, who? it keeps coming back to that. I cannot avoid me. the word who. <laughs> I will pick whom answers these questions. Let's go with a question from Ben. All right, this is an email. My teacher always says that I should have the same sound on every note. How do I go about getting that? My sound gets way louder and brighter as I go higher. Jonathan from Colorado. All right. So this is focusing on sound consistency, and it sounds like a little bit of range development as well. 
And both things we've kind of addressed, although I think sound consistency isn't something that we've really emphasized in our our podcast so far. I think when you're trying to develop consistency, you want to narrow down what it is that you're working on. So start from a smaller, I guess you could say, range, a smaller uh, range of notes, and then work from there. And I would say we've talked about the money range, and I'll just define that as uh, the range where you sound, where your sound and your articulation are are most consistent. We'll just go with that as kind of a working definition. And I would say that that's where you want to focus the most of your practice on when you're wanting to work on consistency. And so we would be doing scales, arpeggios, uh, just anything that's going to help you to focus on the sound and the articulation and not have to worry about the other stuff. So whether that be range or tension or anything, we're kind of eliminating things that take us away from being consistent. So that would be my first suggestion is to just bring it back to a small interval of notes. And then from there, uh, I think in particular to sound and articulation and how articulation relates to sound, I would do a lot of practicing off the horn. And that's going to be with your syllables, trying to make your syllables as consistent as possible, whether you're doing multiple tugging or single tugging, uh, just really working to get clearly defined articulations that are consistent in length, consistent in sound, and then try to translate that back to the horn by alternating on and off the horn. Because that's something that you can do even outside of the practice room. And then when you get into the practice room, you can start to try to make that transition more, I guess, easier. And then just in general, when you're working on sound, I would highly recommend seeking out performances, recordings on YouTube, live performances even once that's uh, things are open up again from the pandemic. Just listening to players, professional players, where you can imitate their sound and try to imitate their sound to really get a good understanding of what uh, sound is for the trumpet and how that relates to the different registers of the trumpet. These, this is just basic knowledge that we need to have in order to develop and, and to imitate and to, to continually refine. As far as your sound and how is it getting louder or brighter as you are increasing your range, I highly recommend, like if you're playing a building scale, instead of thinking about it as a crescendo to the top of the note or the top of the scale, think about it as a decrescendo. I will stress that that doesn't mean that you are losing air support. And so this is going to focus on when you're playing software, it's going to be, you're going to be focusing on your air support, your air speed, and how all of both of those things relate to compression. Uh, and then also working on a more focused embouchure so that you're not spreading and getting a more thin sound as you're going higher. There's a lot of information here. And so first and foremost, I would say to make sure that you have a private teacher, if you don't already, that can help oversee you in these steps. Uh, it's a very important because we're not always our, our best teachers, although we're all working towards being that. And so it's important to have second opinions. It's important to have others that can observe and help us along this path towards development. 
I feel like there's just so much I could talk about on this on this subject, but I don't want to overload the person with information. So I feel I feel like that's a starting point. And here's what I'll say. Thank you very much for your question. And if you have any further questions about what I have just discussed, please feel free to contact us again and we will dig further into that topic. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. That's great. All right. So the next question is for David. And this is from our friend Tyler Miller. I remember. I know Tyler. Awesome trumpet player. Great guy. He's now a band director. So, all right. Here's the question. What techniques would you recommend to young players interested in jazz improv? Okay. So as Derek said, we, you know, we, we, we know Tyler Miller personally, and we know that he is a uh, band director, public school band director. So I'm going to start off this answer by addressing this for a public school setting. My biggest advice is to get out of the blue scale, right? Both my parents were band directors. And so I know the challenges that band directors have running a high school band program and trying to teach jazz improv to a large group of students. And what I have seen is you typically what happens is the band director hands the students a piece of paper that has the concert B flat blue scale written out on it. And those students use that same scale, blue scale, for everything that they do. And instead of thinking about improvisation as as music, they're thinking at, at, thinking about it as this visual thing on a paper. And my first advice would be to get them into uh, reading the chord nomenclature. That's, you know, the, the chord changes that are on the page. And get them working on playing arpeggios. Uh, a great uh, a great way to build soloists in your high school band program is to create a combo, a, a small group, chamber ensemble. And, you know, you pull, pull the best horn players out of the sections, you know, and then you can really beef up your rhythm section by, by doing this. But th- that's a great way to develop improvisers for your big band so so again you get them working on the actual chord changes so they're hearing the sounds of the actual chords going by as, a, as opposed to this thing that was written on the page and something i've seen is young players they're just running the scale up and down and they, they don't even realize that it's in the wrong key you know they could be playing something in e major and they're playing this b flat blue scale and they don't even realize that it's that it's out because they're just running something up and down that was handed to them. So, a, a great resource would be a, a lot of times it's well in many instances it's referred to as the Red Book, Jamie Abersold Red Book. You can get it for free off of the Jamie Abersold website, and it has a ton of information about chord scale relationships, as like the modes of all the major scales. A lot of great stuff in there, but. I, I would get them I would I would introduce your students as soon as possible uh, to learning the chord changes and learning the types of scales that are associated with those changes so so you know modes um, mixolydian Dorian stuff like that and it may seem a lot because you know many many high schoolers are still learning their major scales but I, I I've seen it done I, I it does it does work I have seen players in high school successfully 
tackle all of these. And if you have a great player that love, or um, if you have a high school age player that loves this music, wants to be a soloist, is hungry for this, they will work on it. And then I think the most important, the most important tool that we have as educators is to introduce our younger students to recordings. I mean, that, I mean, that's where the music is, is in the recordings and they will, they will learn so much more from, you know, a, a focused listening session than, you know, from you standing up there for an hour lecturing. I mean, that's where the information is, is in the recordings. There are some some great books. If if your students, like for instance, if it's a trumpet student, he's taking private lessons. The private lesson instructor has probably introduced them to the Clark Studies. Pat Harbison has a book out there, uh, Technical Studies for the Jazz and Commercial Players, that takes these Clark Studies and runs them through different chord changes. So you you know you see the chord progression going along, and the the technical study changes depending on the 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 chord change above the exercise. So it's really cool uh, way to, to introduce younger players to the, these different types of sounds. And in my own personal experience, I've, uh, when I've introduced like the modes to my students at the first time they run through them, they say, Oh, that sounds, it sounds odd. It sounds wrong. They're not used to that sound. So, you know, just the more you can introduce them to, to these types of things, the the more adept they will become at using them. Awesome. Hope that helps, Tyler. If you have any other questions, reach, reach out to us. Yeah, hope you're doing well, man. Great hearing from you. All right. Let's go with Chris. Here's a good question for Chris. I want to be a performer, but I've been told by my private lesson instructor that I should major in music education for my bachelor's. Do you think this is good advice? From Kent Nelson in Little Rock. Good question. I've been asked that question before. Um, <laughs> so Controversial question. It, it really is. Uh, the real question is, how much do you like to teach? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, this is a tough question. And I've, I've been, I've seen other colleagues of mine and friends of mine kind of ask similar questions to other folks, uh, students. And I understand the intention behind what your teacher may be suggesting. And that may come in the light, usually comes in the light of uh, career stability or financial stability, because there's a stigma of professional um, performers having a tough time, uh, you know, making it in the real real world financially. But, you know, we're going to, we're going to come back to that in a sec. I want to address the real question. The real question is though the suggestion may be of good intention, you need to make the decision uh, for yourself. The real thing is whatever you decide, you need to be true to yourself. You need to identify what's most important to you because what you're passionate about, it starts there. Because if you have no passion to do something that you're not into, then you're going to do that thing half-assed. Nobody likes half-assers. I, I'm going to tell you right now. In the, in the real world, those people do not succeed. And that's something that 
you need to figure out for yourself. Now you may be asking yourself, well, I just, I don't know. I, I know money's really important when, you know, when you get out of school, <laughs> yes, it is. It's really important. But I will tell you, if you're passionate about what you do, you're going to find a way, whether that take means taking all the gigs that come across your way and working your way up. If that means that you're going to practice your butt off and become the best trumpet player in the world, that motivation is unrivaled to whatever anybody else says. So if it matters to you that much, you're going to, you'll be fine, but you got to work your ass off. Know that you're going to have to work your ass off, whether that is in a performing standpoint or in an education standpoint. And I will just say, uh, going back to the financial thing, there's a lot of performers too that I know that have performance degrees that go into education. So there's nothing wrong with double dip in here. You, well, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, a teacher needs to become a performer. They need to have those skills. So, and vice versa, if a performer wants to teach, they have to learn the education and pedagogy side of it too, be able to communicate what they're trying to get across. So there's nothing with being a hybrid if you will, in that way. it's. I like to relate it to jazz and classical trumpet players. You don't just have to be a classical trumpet player, you know, to, to in today's world, you should be able to play both in, in, in some regard. Um, so at least the more versatile you are, the more marketable you are in, in the long run. Um, and that, that helps a lot in the career setting. But not to talk your off too much, more, but that, that would be my quick and simple answer to that. Thank you, Kent, for your question. That was an email. All right, I will answer one. I'm going to pick the easiest, <laughs> the easiest question. All right. Uh, hi, everyone. What is your best remedy for blown chops? Yes. Jacob from Pennsylvania. <laughs> Love this question. Yeah, I'm going to answer this because I'm the one. I mess up my chops so much because I don't, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so there's two ways I'm going to answer this. One is best remedy for blown chops on a gig or in a performance setting. And then the other one is in general, blown chops in general. So um, my best remedy for blown chops on a gig is Lip Renew. That one's free, Robinson's Remedies. <laughs> Sponsor us. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do love Lip Renew. I think if you do, if you're having one of those... Um, fold moments something like lip news is great to have it doesn't feel greasy like chapstick you can actually play with it on and if you need to get through a tune or a couple tunes it it really can save you so i think it's useful to have that in general if you have a gig you need to be conscious of how much you're playing before the gig not just that day but that week and that's all going to be judged based on how taxing is that gig, how taxing is that performance. If you're playing Brandenburg, don't play salsa gig until three in the morning the night before. Not going to work out, right? So you need to you need to pace yourself for that week, and just and and have an idea of what is that gig, how how badly is that gig going to tax your chops. So that's the first thing. The next thing: be hydrated. The amount of trumpet players I see who just don't drink water during the day before a taxing gig 
it's it's crazy. I mean, that can give you that can give you hours of extra playing just from drinking water. So that's the big one. The next one, the last one, if you're on a gig and you know this is going to be one of those gigs where you're going to have blown chops at the end, pace yourself from the very first note. Don't do any of the, oh, well, it's the first tune of the night. I feel great. I'm going to tag this last note here. I'm going to put a high G at the end. Well, that's great, but if that means you can't play the high C at the end of the gig, you know, which one do you want? The high G at the beginning or the high C at the end? Because I can tell you, everyone's going to remember the high C at the end. So those are things to keep in mind. Pace yourself, drink water, pace yourself throughout the week, and then just have, I mean, really have Lip Renew. I, I have it in my bag. I don't use it all that often. I only use it when I need it. And just buy it and put it in your bag. I can't think of any other hacks, uh, life trumpet hacks, uh, other than that. Just pace yourself, pay attention throughout the week. In general, my best remedies for blown chops in general is, again, it's, I mean, really, it's always going to be a pace yourself thing. But you have to pay attention to how your face feels. When you're warming up, if your face feels like it's just wrecked, you need to take a day off. And if, and you also have to evaluate, are my, is my, are my chops blown because of a hard gig last night? And that's why I have to take the day off? If that's the case, okay. That happens to all of us. It's going to happen to you no matter what. Sometimes you just have, you overdo it. And if it's in a gig, sometimes you have to. If it's because you were just practicing all week and you practice harder than you should, then you need to evaluate how you're practicing and what you're practicing so that you can avoid that. So it all it all really depends. But the the number one remedy is stop playing. Take a break. Unless you're on a gig, then you don't have a choice. But other than that, just stop playing, relax, and then think about what you're gonna practice. Take that break to plan out your practice the next time you get the horn on your face. So I hope that helps. Back to Ben. Actually, I'm going to change the order, so oh, keep, us, keep us on our Be careful, here. though. David does not like going out of order. That's funny. I was going to pick David. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I am perfectly fine with David's going. David's a proponent of going out of order. We know that. Perfect. Yeah, right. yeah, Ben. Yeah, Ben. <laughs> Jeez, Jeez Louise. All right, so this is a question for David. Hey, I'm a sophomore in college. I was wondering how you balance your practice between jazz and classical playing, and what advice would you give to those who want to major in both? Brandon from Texas. Well, that's that's a great question, and it's something I'm still dealing with today as we speak, this very moment. <laughs> my, my best advice is... You need to you need to be okay with not being the absolute best in your school section because and I'm not saying that you're not that you won't be great, I'm not saying that you you wouldn't be like the top soloist in the jazz band or or you wouldn't be principal in the orchestra. But you have to keep in mind that if you decide to go down that path, you're focusing on two separate things. Whereas your peers are focusing on one thing. So more than likely, you're going to see them, well, probably get improve at a rate in a single style 
that would outpace you. So you have to be okay with your, your friends that want to be orchestral players surpassing you or at least being ahead of you on their orchestral excerpts. You have to be okay with your peers that are just focusing on jazz improvisation, probably outpacing you uh, for the time being in jazz improv. But what what helps me is at the end of the day saying, okay, that's fine, but I can do something they can't, right? My, My friends that are great jazz improvisers, I can turn around and play Mahler 5 and play pictures. They can't. And then the same thing. Yeah, I got some friends that are killer orchestral players, killer classical solo lit players, but I can turn around and play Cherokee. So, you know, you ha- that's that's the payoff. You know, that's that's the payoff. And it's it really is the, the the best analogy I can think of for this is the tortoise and the hare. You just have to stick with it. Yeah, you you may not make leaps and bounds improvement in a short span of time, but if you stick with it within months a year, two years, you're going to see a huge change. You just got to stick with it. That's, you know, and I think that's just with everything with what you do. If you choose to do something, if you choose to dedicate your life to something, you just have to give it your all every day. So that's, so that's my, um, the, the, the biggest point of advice I could give as far as balancing the practice. I personally have two maintenance routines I've talked about this in a previous podcast. I I rotate them. Um, One is based in a classical style. So if I'm doing articulations, it's, you know, it's like I'm in the orchestra section. You know, it's, they're similar exercises, but they're, but the focus is the style. You know, jazz, same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on like the back accent tonguing. I'll be running scales or running patterns or, or, um, you know, working on the articulations. And so that's, that's what I do in the maintenance routine. I, I also f- switch gear. So, you know, obviously I'm practicing on my jazz gear for on my jazz routine. And then at the same, uh, on those same days, I will allocate a chunk of time later in the evening to work on solo rep, on classical solo rep I'm working on or etudes. Or if it's like a jazz day, I'm, I'm working on tunes or trying to develop more vocabulary or, or doing transcriptions. You know, it... But again, going back to my first point, you know, I've, I've got friends that every day they spend 30 minutes to an hour transcribing solos. I don't get to do that. I don't have the time. I get to do that half as much as they do a week. But I'm doing it. I'm sticking with it. And, you know, the, well, the more, the more you improve, the, the higher the level you get, the more difficult it is to see the difference. So just just between you and someone, you know, and your your peers. So just keep at it, keep working. Excellent. That's definitely a tough road doing both jazz and classical. You you did forget one thing, and that's the most important advice is to listen to the Our Trumpet Life podcast. Oh, of course, so of course. He's already doing that. That's great. No, that's a great answer. Good luck, Brandon. All right, let's go back to Ben. This is a great one. This is a great one for Ben. I am a high school student and want to learn piccolo trumpet. How should I start and what should I practice? Corey from California. That is a good question. And as a high school student, there's a lot of ways I can go with this, but I'm going to stick with, obviously, this is an interest of yours. 
So the very first thing I would do, if you haven't already, is to seek out a teacher, a private instructor. And the reason for this is because with piccolo trumpet, there's so many other things that can go wrong when you add piccolo trumpet to your routine. Just because of the tendency of of uh, having extra tension when you start on the smaller horns. So that aside, though, because I, I think that that should be more or less a given. If you're going to start piccolo trumpet, you should have a teacher to help oversee. Now, continuing from there, I think it's important to already have a very well-established grounding in your fundamentals. And in particular, as that relates to range and compression, as I was talking about earlier with developing your range, because these are skills that are going to translate to piccolo trumpet. And really, it'll make your experience a whole lot more enjoyable and less painful. And in the end, you probably will stick with it rather than just quit it. So those things aside, we're going to get down to the kind of the details here. And I would recommend starting with, if you can get a good piccolo trumpet and a good piccolo trumpet, we'll just say, let's stick with major brands. And that'll be like Shelky, that'll be Yamaha, that'll be Bach. And the reason why I recommend this is because when you get a bad piccolo trumpet, or let's just call it subpar, there's going to be a lot of intonation issues with it. And there's already enough intonation issues as it is on piccolo trumpet. And the more of those that you have, the more issues with intonation, the more it's just going to make the experience a whole lot worse. And again, I think that's going to lend to tension as you're learning the instrument. So these first three things that I've mentioned, you know, instructor, focusing on your fundamentals, getting good equipment, they're simply to help set you up for more success on the piccolo trumpet. They're not necessarily, if you don't have these, well, maybe aside from the fundamentals, then you can't do it. It's just, this is going to help you have a better experience overall, I believe. Now, as far as on the piccolo trumpet, I would say, take it slow. You have to take this part slow. I can remember when I first started piccolo trumpet, you know, it's something new. It was exciting. I had been listening to Maurice Andre and oh my gosh, he just sounds so amazing on the piccolo trumpet and that had inspired me to take it up. And I really wanted to just, you know, explore everything on the instrument, the range, everything, the sound, the style. And I think that that enthusiasm led to a, a more difficult initial experience for me because I really struggled playing from just a, a scale F to F on a piccolo trumpet. And I can remember the other people in my class that would have been uh, Peyton Sheldon. He picked it up a lot faster than I did. And he had no issues with the range, at least in my perception. And so I just remember thinking, you know, I wish I had taken things a little bit slower taking the time to develop uh, develop my sound on the piccolo trumpet and then slowly build the range initially. And eventually I got there. I went back to fundamentals on the larger horns, and that was through my uh, instructor, John Adler, or sorry, my trumpet teacher, John Adler's advice to just focus on the larger horn fundamentals and then applying that back to piccolo trumpet. 
I spent more time in the lower registers on the piccolo trumpet and the style really immersing myself in this style. And a lot of the other stuff came out of that, the range, everything. So the, my, my first big advice for developing on piccolo trumpet is to take it slow. Don't rush your development, focus on the mid to low registers and just work at developing your sound, work at developing intonation all the new fingerings, depending on if you have a four-valved or a three-valved with the extra slide, just start getting comfortable with the mechanics of the instrument, the intonation of the instrument, and how it all works in your low to medium registers. Then from there, that's when I would do building scales, playing soft in the upper register, as we talked about. When you're, I think this is even more important, maybe not more important, but it is definitely important on piccolo trumpet to to just approach the upper register soft and delicately. I like to think about it delicately. And then the last topic I would get into is compression. And this one can be a little difficult depending on the way that you achieve the compression. I've always done more of a, it's not really the Bobby Shoe wedge breath or so it's termed, but it is a, a similar variant where you are taking in a little bit of air low and then tucking and breathing the rest of your air higher, we'll just say. So that'd be like a uh, breathing down a small amount and then bre breathing up the rest of the amount when, with a little bit of a tuck. And that helps with the, the compression. Uh, that's something that you would definitely need to have instruction on. Uh, a teacher to help you kind of guide you through the way that you achieve the compression. But I think it's so important to really figure that out on the piccolo trumpet before you try to explore the upper register. Uh, and then with that, all the articulations and everything that come with it. But again, this is just kind of a start. There's so much to learn on piccolo trumpet. And especially as a high schooler, I just recommend really taking it slow and working on just the smaller controllable things like your mid to low register and your sound on the piccolo trumpet. Nice, Ben. Thanks for the question. Let's... I agree. Yeah, thank you, Corey. All right, this one is for Chris. All right, you've, you've mentioned that you exercise on a regular basis and you have often made comparisons between trumpet routine slash maintenance and physical training. How do you think your physical health affects your trumpet playing? From Duke in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. That's a good question. I, yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, my secret is a thousand calf races every day. And, and my, and I'm, I feel like I can tackle on any, type of walking that I do in the hallways <laughs> from class to class. <laughs> uh, the best way I see it is I will say this prior. You do not need to be a tip top shape athlete, an elite athlete to play the trumpet. That's not what I'm getting at, but it sure does help. And here's why. And I make references all the time because, um, you know, trumpet is a physical instrument and it can be, especially for beginners, I feel like it's more physical when you first start out. And then as you 
become more experienced, more efficient, it becomes less physical, but it's still physical on some level. It does take some physicality. It would be easier to play a whole show if you're physically ready for it. If you're training, I'm going to relate it to to physical training. If you want to climb a mountain, you should probably work on your leg stamina. Otherwise, climbing that mountain without any training is going to be really difficult. All right. It's that simple. With trumpet playing, maintenance on a daily basis, it's kind of like eating your vegetables. You're just taking care of the business part of it, um, on the horn business. The stuff that you need to keep up, make sure that you do your 100 buys and tries, as they say, in order to uh, lift what you need to lift. You know, that's that's a big part of of just the maintenance of it's a high maintenance instrument. It you need to play it every day. Otherwise it's gonna get harder. Um and then, you know, there's all sorts of strategies that we can do. There's working the muscle strategies uh, in a strategic way. So this means maybe doing some lip high lip trill kind of a things or lip lip slur or tongue position exercises, as I like to say, every other day. So you're not spending your chops. Uh, It could be doing lead playing on certain days and then resting on having lighter days on the opposite uh, days that you're not playing lead. You know, there's all sorts of strategies you can do to develop um, maintenance or sorry, develop uh, lip stamina and work that way. But you know, it really comes down to this work to rest ratio. This That's like the biggest strategy I have when it comes to the physical part of playing trumpet. And the same goes for when you are working physically yourself, your own body. You know, there there's this constant back and forth of work to rest. And because, you, you know, the, the magic number is three days on of high anaerobic work to one day of rest, a rest day where you just do um, active recovery or you just literally rest and you do nothing, stretch. That's, you know, that's that's it. And then you get back on it. This this is important. And that is essentially the same approach I have to trumpet when it comes to a physical or routine type of thing. Um, We got to be more careful as trumpet players, because our faces have smaller muscles. It's different than the larger muscles. So you have to be conscious of, you have to be more conscious of how you stress that muscle and be more strategic. And a lot of it is, you know, they say play soft so you don't wreck your face or, you know, make sure you play every hour you play, you rest two hours, you know, or, there's all sorts of strategies that we've kind of done, but man, it's, it's a muscle and there's so many relationships or relations connections that you can make when you're just warming up for a a race. You know, I I use that analogy all the time when, when you want to sprint a hundred meters like these fine fellows in this room right here, you got to make sure that you guys warm up appropriately you can't just jump in and and sprint you're gonna pull a hammy i've seen it done before you know same thing with your face you don't want to just start playing high notes not to belabor this question too much longer the ultimate thing of why this is important is when you take care of the physical and that's out of the way 
It allows you to focus on the music a lot more. So you're not being hindered or you're not struggling with being able to play a C in the staff because you're physically incapable of doing it or your breath works out of control or it's you just or you're quivering because your lip is too tense and or it's not tense enough, you know. All those physical things that you have to take care of on a daily basis, consistency is the key. And when that's taken care of, then you can focus on the music. And that's at least my approach. Nice, Chris. Excellent. Great. All right. Thank you, Duke from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. All right. So this last one I was going to answer, but let's actually all answer this one. And let's just go, let's go kind of, what do they call these? Lightning round. So try to give, you know, a good answer. It's a great question, but let's all like try to stay concise too. So, all right. You all talk about a lot of things that you've practiced in the past. What are you actually practicing right now? Thanks for the podcast. Brittany from Colorado. Let's start with Ben. Yeah. Well, thank you for that question. That's, that's a good question. Uh, currently I'm actually working on more of a recital type set because I'm preparing for job interviews and I want to be prepared to walk in and play a recital if I'm asked to do so. So I am keeping up with, I've played the Bach Vivaldi trumpet concerto is written, not originally for trumpet, but pick, I'm doing this on piccolo trumpet. And then I've added to that. I'm working on the aways in all three movements, trumpet sonata, and as well as the Haydn trumpet concerto. So I just want to have a good contrast of styles and abilities. So I've got, you know, obviously piccolo in there, E flat in there, uh, B flat. And then I'm working on different styles from different time periods. I'm working on different difficulty levels, like technique wise, and then contrasting that to lyrical playing. That's all those things are just in consideration for, uh, like when you're doing an audition, you just want to be able to display all of that. So as far as solo repertoire, that's what I'm working on. And then aside from that, I'm always doing my fundamental routine. That's I do that first every single day. And that covers, you know, all the fundamentals. We've talked about several of them on the podcast, such as range and flexibility. Uh, I do articulation exercises as well as sound development and uh, finger technique exercises. And of course, uh, like I mentioned range, but endurance as well for stamina. So all of those things I kind of mix into my routine every single day. Uh, and essentially I skip around different method books and I also create my own exercises to work on depending on what I need, uh, because I don't always find what I need in a method book. So just kind of a whole bunch of stuff. Did you, you left out the Baroque trumpet. Oh, that, that thing back there. Mm-hmm. I, that the thing back there. I actually did practice that the other day. I was working on the Vivaldi uh, concerto for two trumpets. Ooh, remember when we were supposed to play that together on the natural trumpet? Oh, I remember. <sighs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do always try to keep up. Uh, I should, shouldn't say always. I do try to keep up with the different keyed trumpets just so when I need to use them, I'm accustomed to them and it's not just like 
it can be a weird thing on your ear when you jump to a key to trumpet that you haven't played in a while. Awesome. David? Yeah, so I'm what I'm currently working on on the classical side of things, I'm slowly going through some of the standard repertoire and the trumpet solo lit that I didn't have the opportunity in school to learn and perform. So I'm just sort of covering my bases and making sure as someone who wants to be a college professor, I at least have some experience with some of, some of this more standard lit. Uh, I'm also spending a lot of time working on etudes and just working on musicality in general. Um, on the jazz side of things, I'm trying to learn more tunes. It's never ending. <laughs> you know, it's, there's always every, every day new tunes are, are written. So it's, it's a never ending battle. So learning new tunes, investigating harmonic major and the augmented scale. That's been interesting and trying to incorporate that into my, 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 uh, crayon box of colors and sounds or if you will i guess for jazz improv uh and then i'm trying to get back in shape on the piccolo i've got a performance uh, a remote performance coming up for easter and it's been a weird year for all of us piccolo is not something i've spent a lot of time on so just trying to get that back in shape chris what are you actually practicing I'm taking a very simple approach to my practice, and this is not a lack of strategy. It is actually me keeping limitations on myself. I'm working up voicings on the piano through this Frank Mantooth uh, book, practicing on the piano, and then I'm practicing the same voicings on my trumpet, and then I'm running it over uh, tunes. That's it. It's real simple. These voicings suck, though, for trumpet players. There are a lot of fourthy voicings. <laughs> so, Hello, Woody Shaw. So it's not. Yeah, yeah. It's it's they sound great. It's it's quite nice. Uh, they're very physically demanding. So there's a lot of play a chorus, rest a chorus, or play the A section, rest the next A section, and then um, get it to where I can internalize it in in a stylistical things. I I write different rhythms to play these different voicings on and just play the notes and the voicings and improvise with them in a in a way that's uh that flows and i just focus on that one thing at a time one uh new voicing a week and then i just practice it i work it to death until i internalize it and uh and then of course i do my maintenance stuff prior to that but that's that's basically what i'm working on Sweet. Nice. All right. Um, I am I'm doing a very basic routine. I always tend to do pretty basic routines with one overarching goal. Uh, and I guess broken down, that goal is always just to get more efficient. I am mainly working on focus, refocusing my aperture because with the shutdown, I really think that kind of went away. Um, I played in a mute for four months at the beginning of the shutdown, and it just messed me up. So that's what I've been working on. It really starts, I start my day with lead pipe, and I actually do start by playing high. 
well, I start playing low, but in my very first thing, I get into the upper register. I, on the lead pipe, play up to double C's on, from the very beginning, within the first 30 seconds of me playing. And my goal, so I'm not playing loud on the lead pipe, I'm really trying to keep everything focused. And that allows me to play to the extremes of my range while doing that, because I'm really focusing on just keeping everything focused. So it's, it's not taxing at all, because I'm playing extremely, extremely soft. And, folk, you know, I am focusing on playing correctly, not pushing and blah, 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 all that stuff. The next thing I do is what I call whisper tones. I'm playing as soft as I can, and I'm focusing on getting, having a good resonant sound and connecting each note. And I start on G, go down to low G, come back up, and then I do intervals. Uh, what's that extra? I think it's called Remington, where it's like G, F sharp, G, F natural, G, E... G, e da, dee, da, yeah. Dee, dee. yeah. So then I'll do that. Yeah, it's a. I mean, it's a common exercise. So I do that um, from G down to low G, and I do all of this without taking the horn off my face. I breathe through my nose. Then I go up to high G, do it there, and then I try to go and I do it to the G above it, and then I call and then I try to go as high as I can, and then connect all the way back down to low F sharp and back to G. And again, I'm playing extremely soft, keeping everything really focused, not taking the horn off my face. Then I take an hour break. And then I'll come back and do Maggio. I'll do uh, pick stuff if I'm going to do it, which I'm trying to get back into doing every day. Some articulation stuff, but it's all really slow and it's all mostly soft. So I'm just focusing on getting my aperture back to the place I like it to be at, uh, which is just focused with a lot of control. So it's just been a real uphill battle to get back there. So it's, I don't know, this has been like six months I've been trying to get back. So that's what I'm working on. All right. Well, that was fun. It was fun to get all these questions. Thank you everyone who submitted questions. Follow us on Instagram. If you want to see when we're going to do one of these podcasts, I will post a story that will allow you to write in questions. You can always DM us, too, for questions. Our Instagram is Our Trumpet Live. Same with our Facebook. You can write us messages there, and we'll try to answer them. And you can send us an email at OurTrumpetLife at gmail.com. And whether or not we read your question on a podcast, we will answer you. We will try to answer you. Until the day we have so many emails and messages that we can't get to all of them, we will answer all of them. So... Why not? <laughs> Why not send an email, right? Uh, it's fun. We like doing it. Uh, this is something that we all enjoy doing. So uh, if you have questions, let us know. Send them in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for writing in your questions. 